0: Welcome. This is LegalWise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. We have a great show for you today on LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We'll talk about wills, incentive estate planning, Defamation, inheriting from a child, alternatives to litigation, the story of the lost keys, and an interview with a special guest. So let's get started. We have a question from Bart. He says My brother was a very successful businessman and owned numerous businesses when he died. He named one of his friends as his executor of his will and set up a generic trust for each of his adult children. Despite the trust, two of his children immediately quit their jobs, bought expensive cars and other toys, and just play all day. In my opinion, they are not contributing members of society, and I don't want that to happen to my kids. What can I do? Well, Bart, unfortunately, this scenario is all too common with the children of hard-working, successful business owners. I've known some corporate executives who were so concerned with the development of their children that they hired life coaches to help guide their children into adulthood and teach them to adjust to being responsible with their inherited money, while at the same time they pursue a constructive career on their own. But that is the exception Many times, parents try to set an example for their kids and encourage responsible behavior. This can be continued with the use of special language inside of a trust. For example, a trust can be set up with incentive language in it that encourages the values that you believe are important. I've seen incentives such as rewards for graduating from college rewards for staying married for 10 years, or even an incentive that pays out funds in proportion to the amount the person earned while working. These trusts are drafted by experienced estate planning lawyers based on your instructions so that it will encourage the responsible living that you want to promote with your kids. At Eccles Law Group, we enjoy helping parents or grandparents create Estate plans that promote the development of good citizens and perpetuate a lifestyle of productivity. So, Bart, you can use the proceeds from your success to bless your family and promote a legacy of responsibility. Great question, Bart. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, visit LegalWiseGA.com. Monica has a question. She says, My friend recently purchased a home, and she asked me what will happen to her home if she dies without a will. Well, an important question, Monica. Your friend's entrance into the world of real estate ownership has changed her perspective on planning for her future. Like many other Georgians, she now recognizes that she has something worth protecting. I'm familiar with the situation where a single man died without a will while owning some real estate. Various members of his family are fighting to be in charge of his property. When there's no will, that person is called an administrator, and since he didn't have a will that indicated who he wanted to serve as the manager of his estate, the court is forced to hold a trial and determine who will be selected as the administrator." This process pits family members against each other and costs lots of money. In contrast, if you have a last will and testament, then you have a tool that can be used to appoint a person or a manager to manage the property of the estate after we pass away. Without a will, the probate court appoints the person it believes is best. So Monica, if your friend wants to select the person who will be in charge, then she definitely needs a will. In addition, if there's no will, Georgia law will decide who will receive her property after she dies. Unfortunately, Georgia's choice rarely matches what the person actually wants. So anyone who owns real estate, has investments, owns a car, or otherwise has any property, they need a will. But that's not all. In addition to a will, a person should also consider a power of attorney, which appoints a person to assist with property and assets during their lifetime. Without a power of attorney and a will, your friend is making it more difficult for her family to deal with her property, whether she's incompetent or deceased. Thanks for the great question, Monica. If you have a question for LegalWise with Ted Eccles, go to LegalWiseGA.com. We have a question from Linda. She says, my property was damaged in a storm. I hired a contractor to perform the repair work. Unfortunately, his work was not satisfactory, so I didn't pay him. In response, the contractor sued me, and his complaint contained numerous statements that are untrue, false, and, in my opinion, defamatory. Can I sue the contractor for defamation for including the false statements in his complaint? Well, Linda, I know that this has been a tough time for you because your challenges began through no fault of your own. You suffered storm damage and just wanted to get your house back to normal. Unfortunately, most insurance companies don't provide assistance in finding a contractor to make the repairs. Many times, if you have a loan, your lender may provide some assistance by monitoring the construction so that the contractor only receives a draw payment upon completing a certain amount of work. Well, in your case, it sounds like the contractor did not perform the work to your satisfaction. And in addition to not having your repair work completed, now you're facing legal action. Let me say to begin that it's a good idea to retain an attorney to defend you in the lawsuit. It's also important to assert any claim you have against the contractor as a counterclaim because claims that are transactionally related to the claims in the contractor's complaint must be asserted in a counterclaim, or you may be precluded from asserting them in the future. Well, in in thinking about your claims, you've said that the claims in the complaint are false and damaging to you, and you want to assert a defamation claim against the contractor. Unfortunately, if the only time the contractor has uttered these claims is in his complaint, then you may be precluded from asserting a defamation action against him. Under Georgia law, the assertions in a complaint or a counterclaim are privileged, and however false or malicious these charges are, there is no claim for libel. If the contractor has asserted these false claims in another setting, like Facebook or utter them to someone else, then you may very well have a claim against the contractor. Linda, thanks for the question. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. All right. Hey, we got a special guest with us this week on Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. We have Pastor Kerry Phillips, the campus pastor at the Griffin uh, campus of Eagles Landing First Baptist Church. Welcome, Pastor Kerry. Tell us a little bit about your campus, and for how long have you been in the ministry?
1: Ted, it's really good to be here. I really appreciate the um, the invitation to be a part, and I've actually been in ministry for 24 years. Uh, I grew up at Eagle's Landing First Baptist Church, and uh, really, my... my Uh, career started there as a pastor, and uh, I did serve at a little church in North Georgia for just a little time, and then when I was 19 years old, I started as the middle school pastor at Eagles Landing. Um, That was 23 years ago, so it's a lot of times passed.
0: So when somebody's going through a divorce or they've lost a loved one, how do you help members deal with the emotional loss and then the anxiety associated with the legal process?
1: No doubt that those things happen. And, you know, one of the toughest things I've learned as a pastor, when I was a young pastor, I always wanted the right words or, or, you know, some sort of magical formula that would just take that pain and hurt away. And I I learned along the way that there's nothing that I can say or that I can do that will just take that pain away. Uh, I have found that, you know, people really don't expect you to have all the right words or uh, even a formula that just uh, removes all the pain, but they do appreciate the people that just kind of are with them. Uh, kind of walk with them through that loss so you know what i try to do is just make myself available we've had a lot of loss in our church even in this past year and um, i want to lead with love and tenderness and compassion no matter what the no matter what the um the situation is if it's a loss of a loved one uh, or if it's the pain of divorce uh, and really just as you are leading with compassion trying to help them deal with the obstacles, the legal obstacles and other obstacles, just one step at a time. I know for me as a pastor, one of the things I like to do is connect them with other church members that may have walked through a similar loss or a similar story. And then also to connect them with professionals, particularly on the legal end, that can help them make those complications much easier for themselves. So uh, I definitely like to connect them with experts that kind of help them uh, out on, on the legal end. Yeah, well that's good. A lot of churches, and I've participated, promote mission
0: trips for their members, and I've gone on several, and they're awesome and enjoyable. You know, there's some destinations that are just around the corner, and others in more dangerous parts of the world. What are some things that a church can do to protect the members who volunteer on these trips?
1: You yeah, know, no doubt. You know, anytime you really go anywhere, there's there is some inherent risk involved and uh, the further you go sometimes that means the higher the risk and you know for us one of the things that we know is people that are closer to those um those places uh, know they're more aware of the risk that are around them so we always partner with somebody on the ground people that know that area they know the risks that are in that area and one of the things they're able to do is to advise us on potential threats and then also it helps us prepare for anything that we might could encounter um, once once we get there. Um, one of the things that we actually have is we we have um, uh, pretty lengthy, especially you know if it's a local mission trip, then then we're more aware of those risks ourselves. But if we're sending somebody you know across the globe or to another any any other country, um, we've got quite a bit of pre-trip training where we prepare for those risks and anything that we might come in contact with. So, you know, we also, we purchase travel health insurance um, for every single team member that we send overseas and on an international trip. And, and part of that uh, is just helpful because if you were to even experience any kind of natural illness, even that's just happening in your own body, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people don't realize your health insurance may not give you coverage in another country. So we purchase health insurance for you, so if something unexpectedly happened, um, we can get you the appropriate medical care uh, very quickly, and uh, and that's covered by that insurance. And then we also, uh, that includes evacuation insurance, so if for any reason we needed to get someone out of the country quickly, um, we have insurance to help with that. So, you know, we're well organized. We try to stay together and um We really try to cover all of our health and safety security protocols in our pre-trip training. Uh, And then we also make sure that important documents, one of the parts of travel that we all know is you have things like airport tickets and and passports and, you know, visas and just things that are important to to have. So we work together when we're with a group to make sure that those things are as secure as possible at all times. And they don't just get lifted, you know, easily by somebody on the street. Yeah. And I think
0: that, that, pre-trip planning and organizing and and uh, going through various scenarios with the team members ahead of time I, I know at least it was helpful in the trips that I participated on so I I'm uh, yeah I don't know if there's but you can do too much preparation for a trip particularly if it's out of the country so we're talking with pastor Carrie Phillips at Eagles Landing, Griffin Campus. Well, Pastor Kerry, um, churches are made up of people, and a lot of times people say when two or more people together, conflict is inevitable. So when 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 you do find members in conflict with each other, rather than filing a lawsuit, how can the church step in and help those members resolve their issue in a peaceful and positive way?
1: You're definitely right, and you know you you can see that in our own families, in our own homes. You know, when you've got people together, even in the same family, sometimes conflict comes up, and when you have a larger family, those uh, those disagreements will happen as well. You know, the good news of that is the Bible really gives us lots of insight, plenty of insight on how to handle those conflicts, and I can tell you, you know, lots of places in Scripture that that share those things. But the key words that really come through all of those is just humility, approaching the, the situation with humility, the circumstance with humility, having gentleness with one another, um, and then also uh, responding in love. So we always try to remind people that are as believers, as, as a part of this family, uh, were to to demonstrate Christ's love and, and to really live like Christ. So uh, I think that's the starting place. Uh, you know, conflicts are always best when they can be directly solved between the two people that disagree. But we also know sometimes that's not going to happen. So sometimes that circle has to expand. You know, I think the first expansion is just to include mature um, uh, family members, church members that have a relationship with the the people that are in conflict, and they're able to give a non-biased perspective and potential resolutions. Now, this may be a spiritual mentor, it might be someone like myself who's a pastor, it could be a deacon of the church, uh, maybe a life group teacher, a Sunday school teacher, an elder of the church. There's there's lots of different people that can speak into the conflict, and, you know, we have experienced uh, at rare times just conflicts that still cannot be resolved, and I know when we've experienced that in the past, I've encouraged people to seek out a peacemaking process. Uh, then, rather than going to civil court, you know uh, we don't want to subject ourselves to the government authority when it's something that could be solved inside of our family according to biblical principles because you know our ultimate authority is God's word uh, and and that's what we really want to govern our lives is his word so uh, I truly believe that any conflict well it can be resolved when we allow those tensions to kind of settle down and cool off, and then the parties approach humbly and willing to um, to go by the, the biblical standards and guidelines. Well, we've been visiting with uh, Pastor
0: Kerry Phillips. Pastor, if uh, someone wants to learn more about your church or has further questions, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Ah, easy way to do that one. Man, it's it's a, just an honor to be a part of a local church and, and to be a part of this family. Uh, Griffin has been just a wonderful a community of believers for me and my family and, and then obviously for others here too. Um, but you can contact me directly. Easy way to do that. Um, my name, Carrie at eagleslanding.org is my email address. Uh, you can find that on www.eagleslanding.org, which is our website. You can choose the Griffin campus, uh, see the staff uh, page there. And that gives you not only my email address, but also my phone number, 770-616-0777.
0: All right. Well, thanks a lot, Kerry. And I'll look forward to talking with you again. Sounds good. Look forward to it, Ted. Scott has written in an interesting question. He says, Many years ago, when I was young and before I married my current wife, I was in a relationship with a woman who was not my wife. After we broke up, she had a child. While my ex-girlfriend, admitted that the child was mine. The woman never did want me to have a relationship with my biological daughter, and I did not take any action in court to have the girl declared my child. I wasn't listed on the birth certificate. Well, now all these years later, my biological daughter, who's now an adult, has died. She had no spouse or children, but she did own some property. Am I entitled to inherit from her as an heir? Well, Scott, it sounds like you did not establish any relationship with your daughter while she was a minor. You have identified an important distinction that's unique for fathers of children born out of wedlock. For fathers, you can be a biological parent without being a legal parent. Just because you're the biological father, you're not automatically recognized as the legal father. Many times this issue surfaces when the mother seeks child support when the child is young. But it sounds like that wasn't an issue for you. Georgia law says that a mother of a child born out of wedlock is entitled to inherit from the child just as if the child were legitimate. However, the biological father of the child doesn't inherit from the child unless a court has entered an order establishing paternity or legitimation, the father is listed on the birth certificate, or the father executed a sworn statement during the life of the child attesting to the paternity of the child. So, Scott, for a father that wants to inherit from a child born out of wedlock, it's important to talk with an attorney familiar with the state law to assist in asserting your rights. In many cases, you may be required to affirmatively show the probate court that you're entitled to inherit. I'm sorry for the loss of your daughter, Scott. Thanks for the question. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Larry has a question for Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. He says, I recently had a pipe burst and called a plumber that goes to my church. He came out and did some work and I paid him. Plumber says he fixed the pipe, but I still have a leak and it has now damaged my ceiling and my flooring, causing substantial damage. But now I can't get him to answer my calls. What are my options? Well, Larry, you always have the option to sue the plumber and try to collect some damages. You should be aware. I learned many years ago that litigation tends to drive the parties apart rather than helping to bring reconciliation to their relationship. This is particularly true in circumstances like yours. When your pipe burst, the plumber was your friend and you called him because you trusted him. He's also a fellow church member. If you choose to sue him, this will almost certainly result in further animosity between the two of you. While you may win the lawsuit, you'll likely lose a friend and may even alienate others in your church. However, you have the option to pursue a resolution in another way. If the plumber will agree, you can submit the dispute for resolution to a process called Alternative Dispute Resolution. There is a method promoted by a group called Peacemaker Ministries that has a straightforward process to help parties in your situation. It's designed to help find a resolution and bring reconciliation to your relationship. There are mediators trained by this group in our area. In fact, many years ago, I received training and became a certified Christian conciliator. I'm affiliated with a group called Bridge Conciliation that helps parties in your position. Larry, while a compromise may be appropriate, the goal of a comprehensive mediation is to help the parties make things right and bring healing to their relationship. You can learn more about this process by visiting bridgeconciliation.com. Larry, I hope you will consider alternative dispute resolution as a way to resolve your dispute, and I hope the plumber will agree. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. Many years ago, when I was a student in junior high, I played on the basketball team. Probably like many of you who enjoyed sports while in school, my mom would faithfully pick me up after practice each night. One evening, she came in and sat near the coach at the edge of the court and watched the last few minutes of the activities. When she gathered her coat and other items, she accidentally picked up the coach's keys and put them in her purse. A few days later, while she was moving her items into another bag, she found them. She asked me to take them to the coach the next day. I dutifully delivered the huge ring of keys to the coach and placed them on his desk and explained to him what had happened. I thought that was the end of the matter. But later that day, the principal of the school summoned me to his office, and with a stern look on his face, he asked, Ted, Why did you steal the coach's keys? Well, already on edge for being in the principal's office, I was shocked by the accusation. After a few moments of gathering my composure, I attempted to explain what happened. But in various forms, he repeated the accusations and threatened disciplinary action and strongly urged me to confess. Well, I remember being released from the office and heading down to the locker room. Thankfully, my coach was more understanding and provided much-needed encouragement. While I didn't know a lot about legal terms back then, I did recognize that it did not seem fair. As the years passed and I studied American history, constitutional law, and criminal justice, I came to realize that our founding fathers also recognized the value of a few key foundational principles. Under our Constitution, we're presumed innocent until proven guilty. Another valuable principle, due process, which is an abbreviated way of saying that we have the right to be heard and present evidence and have an impartial person adjudicate the issue before we can be found guilty. I sure wish my principal would have extended these fundamental protections to me during his alleged search for the truth. There is no question that the Lost Keys incident instilled in me a strong appreciation for the basic rights we have under our Constitution. These rights are definitely worth defending. You're listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. You've been listening to LegalWise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you.
1: The Information Comments and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction.